Welcome to another edition of the TDN Writer's Room. My name is Bill Finley. I'm a correspondent with Thoroughbred Daily News. And every Saturday morning for the last 17 years, believe it or not, I've co-hosted the Down the Stretch Show, the legendary Dave Johnson on Sirius XM Radio. And my name is Randy Moss, former colleague of Bill Finley in the newspaper business. I'm now an analyst for NBC Sports, and I'm on the uh, buyer speed figure team. Zoe Kaplan here with First Racing and XBTV. I'm back from holiday. I have Doodle in the background, and all is good. Glad to be here. I hope we you missed, missed you me. so Did much, you Zoe. Me? I can't tell you. The tears were just flowing down our cheeks. <laughs> Honestly, good to have you back. So a couple of days ago, guys, I was thinking, what the heck are we going to talk about this week on the podcast? There's nothing going on. Every time you think that, doesn't all hell break loose? And we think that there's not going to be much news made over the 4th of July holiday. And lo and behold, on a Monday afternoon, on July 3rd, we get an announcement from Churchill Downs saying, guess what? Our ban of Bob Baffert, originally scheduled to end at the end of the Churchill Spring Meet, which is actually at the conclusion of the Churchill at Ellis Park Spring Meet, which ended on Sunday. Well, never mind. We're going to extend it at least through all of 2024. So Mr. Baffert will not be allowed to race as we speak at any Churchill Downs tracks, Churchill Downs itself, fairgrounds, et cetera, or of course participate in the 2024 Derby. Uh, I didn't see this coming, maybe I was a little bit naive, but I'll start things off because, you know, there's a lot of strong opinions out there and Bob Baffert is a polarizing figure. Seems like everybody either hates him or loves him, but I don't like this one bit. And uh, the reasons why are that you asked him to pay the price, whether someone thinks it was an appropriate penalty or not. Let's not go there. That's not what's germane at this point. He's suspended him for two years. He did his two years. His punishment was up. They said that he painted a or peddled was the word a false narrative, talking about how he didn't think that this uh, betamethasone got into the horse through an injection. He spoke on Fox before the Belmonts. They actually said, "I didn't do anything wrong." I don't. That apparently didn't go over with. But Bob Baffert served his time. Two years was a harsh suspension, and I don't think there's any justification whatsoever. For Georgia Downs extending the suspension. I didn't necessarily see it coming, but I found it very interesting that at the end of May, when Baffert uh, specifically lost his last appeal, this was after National Treasure wins the Preakness, Churchill Downs Incorporated puts out a press release. And as part of the press release, it said, as we stated when we suspended Mr. Baffert in June 2021, we reserve the right to extend his suspension and we will communicate our decision at the conclusion of the initial two year suspension period. I didn't think they were going to do it, uh, but I didn't think it necessarily came from left field since they had already uh, communicated that that could be a possibility. What's really a lot of things are interesting here about this. To me, it's going to be fascinating to see how this plays out legally. Uh, going all the way back uh, 110 years, if you do the research, to Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes uh, writing, uh, authoring an opinion 
way back in 1913 that gave racetracks the right to exclude anyone uh, they desired for any reason. It mostly has been the rule of law in the United States, uh, especially in the state of Kentucky, which was regarded as a common law state. Uh, racetracks there have what's been described as a little more complicated than this, but the common law right of absolute exclusion, meaning that they don't have to have a reason. They can exclude anybody they want, including a licensee uh, for anything whatsoever. If they don't like the guy, they can just suspend him and they have the legal right to do so. This is 2023, though. Uh, I have a hard time believing that whereas uh, the two-year ban of, of Baffert stemmed from the beta-methasone positives, and, and Churchill could always fall back on that in the court of law, uh, you know, citing a pattern, citing Medina Spirit, citing Gamin the year before, um, and that was pretty much inarguable that the horse did test positive for beta-methasone. In this case, uh, Baffert seems to be punished for things that he's saying. Uh, there were no other positive tests. Uh, it, you know, it, it's peddling a false narrative, ongoing conduct is, is one of the quotes they had. Continued disregard for the rules and regulations that ensure horse and jockey safety. And it's going to be interesting to see, even with all the past rulings and even with this common law right the tracks in Kentucky have, if courts will allow Churchill Downs to continue a ban like this on the basis of what is constitutionally protected free speech, that Baffert is able to give his opinion. Uh, and he's done nothing technically wrong uh, in terms of uh, racing rules and regulations. It's going to be a fascinating case going forward. My personal opinion, I'm not a lawyer. Uh, I don't think Churchill Downs wins this one. I've missed you, Randy. Way to go down the rabbit hole. Let me just help, like, pull you out going back to 1924. I mean, hey. Oh my God, like, good for you. Um, this is a classic case of moving the goalpost. It's as simple as that, and it's personal now. And I think that is exactly what we're seeing is a personal vendetta, so to speak, against Hall of Famer Bob Baffert for things he said. It's not because of any actual rulings. He hasn't run at Churchill Downs for two years, so there's no rulings against him. He's had no horses test positive. He hasn't been suspended. Nothing's happened. It's Churchill v. Bob Baffert. And I, I think they're really going to lock horns on this one. And I'm, I'm with you. I, I'm not sure they can win this, but it's Churchill. They've got an awful lot of money. And, you know, Baffert and Zidane, this is the main driving force right here. Zidane has a lot of money and he's going to fight this to the hilt. And I think that is what's happening. And Baffert has become embroiled with it. And it's personal. No, there was clearly sides. a lot of animosity uh, expressed through their attorneys, Churchill Lands Incorporated and, and Bob Baffert's attorneys, and all these various court challenges that Baffert and Zidane put forward. You could just you could just see the animosity, you know, reeking coming out through quotes and things like that. So no doubt that there uh, has been a lot of that, a lot of bad blood here going on between the two sides. And then. And then it's worded the same. 
will reevaluate after 2024. So it might never end. I mean, you don't know. We all thought it would be done this time around. I mean, there's clearly a lot of bad blood between this, the, the two sides. And, and it's not just what Baffert has said. Uh, it's what has transpired in, in courtrooms. It's the legal challenges against Churchill Downs Incorporated. You can read the quotes from CDI lawyers. You can read the quotes from Clark Brewster and other lawyers that Bob Baffert has had. And, you know, there is a lot of animosity between the two sides uh, that comes out in those in those statements. And that logically uh, you would think would have to be a part of this. And the legalities are not over yet because there is still a lawsuit pending out there from uh, Amr Zidane about the disqualification of Medina Spirit, uh, just the basis of the disqualification, uh, whether it was injectable betamethasone or, uh, you know, topical betamethasone. And, and if there's a difference between the two actual in the uh, in the Kentucky rules of racing. So it's going to be real fascinating to see how this develops going forward. Randy, I'm going to go on record. I'm going to disagree with you. I don't think Churchill will lose this in the end. And uh, we haven't seen yet what Baffert and his legal team are planning to do. I mean, think what you want at Churchill Downs. They're very smart. They uh, have good lawyers. And, and you know, they, they've won every single case up to this point. You know, Baffert, Zidane, et cetera, have, have sued numerous times versus Churchill versus the Racing Commission, et cetera. So and, and again, you know, going back to only you could come up with Oliver Wendell Holmes in 1913. But, uh, you know, that rule has been in place forever. And yeah. uh, they could throw the three of us out because they didn't like what we said on this podcast. And uh, there's, you know, as, as I've always understood it, it, there's nothing that that we can do about it. But that still doesn't make it right. And, you know, I just want to uh, elaborate on a point um, that both of you have made already, but I want to throw my two cents in here. You know, had he had a horse test positive. It wouldn't have been at a Churchill track because he hasn't been running there, but at Santa Anita or something, they could have said, yeah, see, we told you this guy's still up uh, up to his old tricks. And, and that's why we're throwing him out. Essentially, if you go by what they said, they're throwing him out for the quote unquote false narrative. They're throwing him out for another year because he defended himself. And, you know, did he make some mistakes along the way? I think he did. I mean, going back to that cringeworthy comment about cancel culture. Uh, and stuff like that. It, it, and and he probably shouldn't have gone on that Fox interview. I don't, I don't see what purpose that served. And we don't know for a fact that might have been something that, that Churchill took into account. But and we're going to talk about this a similar subject with uh, uh, attorney Alan Pincus a little bit later when he's the Green Group guest of the week. To me, it is, you know, I'm going to wave the flag here on the Fourth of July weekend. It's un-American to penalize somebody for defending themselves, be it in courts or in court of public opinion or just speaking their mind. And, you know, in all honesty, the things he said weren't that inflammatory. I think the the, the whole uh, subject or their whole argument about how the betamethasone got into the horse from day one, I, I didn't think it mattered. Now, I'm not a legal expert, but who cares if it came in with an in, uh, injection or it came in with the ointment? It was in the horse. So he tested positive and, you know, dummy, it shouldn't have given him the ointment. So, but again, you know, if that's all you have on Bob Baffert, this false narrative that he should have shut up and gone away, he didn't do anything wrong here. And yeah, you know, this is just not the way our system of justice works. And maybe that's something that we should tell Oliver Wendell Holmes like, 120 years later or whatever it is. Damn it, Oliver, you were wrong all those years ago. So. 
Want to remind you, the TDN Writers Room is brought to you by Keeneland. The Keeneland September sale produced a new TDN rising star this week in the form of Edified, a son of Tappet who sold for $650,000 at last year's September sale. Edified was bred by Summerwind Farm and is owned by Cortland Farm. Keeneland is home of the world's yearling sale. The energy, magic, and momentum of the September yearling sale returns September the 11th through the 23rd. I'll be there. Will you? Learn more at theworldsyearlingsale.com. We'll be right back after this message from Keeneland. If this place could talk, it would roar. It would say... This is racing, this beating heart in the heart of horse country, steady and strong beneath the roar, reminding us why, for the love of the horse, for generations to come. As always, this week's Fastest Horse of the Week is brought to you by the Fast Stallions at Windstar Farm. One of those was an undefeated grade one winning two-year-old. By the name of Improbable, he won the Los Alamitos Futurity as a two-year-old by five links in a time of 141.18 for a mile and a 16th. And then, of course, he came back later in his career as champion older male with three consecutive grade one wins. And what strong three wins they were. The Awesome again with a 108 buyer, the Whitney with a 106 buyer, and the Hollywood Gold Cup with a 105 buyer speed figure. And as the number one first crop by 2021 CPI, you know the buyers will be looking forward to seeing Improbable's first yearlings sell at auction this summer. Now, the fastest horse of the week, a horse that like Improbable, trained by Bob Baffert, and that would be Fort Bragg, who scored a very impressive win narrowly in a wonderful race to watch, but a very impressive win in the Dwyer Stakes at Belmont Park on Saturday, July the 1st. Uh, a buyer speed figure in that one mile race of 106. So Fort Bragg finally living up to some of that potential now in the middle of his three-year-old season. We'll talk about that right now when we dissect the Dwyer Stakes. But the fastest horse of the week, Fort Bragg. Well, let's do just that. Let's dissect the Dwyer Stakes. Very busy weekend, of course, over July uh, 4th. On Saturday, there were 13 graded stake places alone uh, in North America on Saturday. And the, and the Dwyer was not the you know biggest race of the weekend. The um, Stephen Foster at Ellis Park was, and, and we'll talk about that shortly. But, Zoe, um, you know, it's interesting because, you know, all of a sudden at, at a, a time of the year where there's been a lot of, normally a lot of attrition in the three-year-old ranks, uh, Bob Baffert, is, is loaded right now. Arabian Lion, Arabian Night, National Treasure, and now Fort Bragg comes back and runs this race. Um, despite the buyer figure, which I'm, I'm certainly impressed by, um, I don't necessarily thought that it was a great field. I mean, Saudi Crown stepped up for Brad Cox, and boy, those two put on a show through the stretch, and, and Saudi uh, Crown was very game. But uh, could Fort Bragg be the type of horse we're talking about come? Traverse time, Pennsylvania Derby time, whatever. We'll find out. Honestly believe that Johnny V was the difference maker. And I got nothing against Joel Rosario, but Johnny V has ridden more for Bob Baffert than Joel Rosario has. And he knows exactly the type of horse and the type of ride it needs. Now, this horse, Fort Bragg, he tends to hang a little bit. We saw that in the Ali Sheba where he was head and head with General Jim. Rosario rode him that day and, and he got beat. 
This time, he got a picture-perfect ride under Johnny V. Looked like he was always in control on the outside. He loomed up against Saudi crown, and then it was like, oh, no, you go first. You go first. He's just a tag camera shy. And Johnny V just had him measured. He knew exactly where to put him and where the wire was. And I think that was the difference maker here because Fort Bragg's never going to win on his own. He's never going to draw off and win by five and be a, that flashy kind of horse. He got a picture perfect ride by a Hall of Famer. And I think that was the absolute difference maker. Yeah. What, in what's interesting to me about this horse, uh, if you go back to early March at NBC, we were preparing for the San Felipe and we couldn't call Bob Baffert because, you know, Bob had turned over the horses at the time, his best three-year-olds by the end of February, most of them at least, turned them, turned them over to Tim Yachtin. And we didn't really want to call Tim Yachtin because he had just gotten the horses and didn't really know a whole lot about them. So we put in a phone call uh, to uh, Tom Ryan of SF Bloodstock, who has been intimately involved, obviously, when all, with all these Avenger horses right from the start. And the horses we really wanted to talk about were Reincarnate and National Treasure and Hijazi. And Tom talked about all those horses. And then at the end, he said, wait, 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 wait. Aren't you going to ask me about Fort Bragg? And we're like, OK, all right. What about Fort Bragg? He said, no, no, no. He said, this is a really, really talented horse that might turn out uh, being the best of all of the three-year-olds in our group uh, once he finally gets to put it all together. If you go back and look at some of Fort Bragg's early races, uh, he was disqualified from a win in October in a maiden race over uh, over practical move uh, when he bore in and then he bore out in his next race or tried to bear out and still managed to beat uh, reincarnate. And then he ran in the low South Futurity and he bore out around the first turn. He was his own worst enemy. And finally, now it looks like he has put it all together. He ran that good race that Bill talked about in the Pat Day Mile, uh, just getting beat a neck. Uh, then he comes back here with this huge effort in the Dwyer. So uh, what Tom Ryan said way back in the very first week of March has uh, he's turned out to be a pretty good prognosticator because uh, this horse for Bragg is getting better and better. Now, what his distance limitations are, we don't know yet. So far, his best races have been around one turn as opposed to two turns. His damn March Express was a turf sprinter primarily. So maybe he has distance limitations. I have a feeling we'll probably find out in his very next start. You'd have to think he would be one of those major uh, two-turn three-year-old sticks races in the summer, maybe even the Jim Dandy. So uh, the grade one race of the weekend was the Stephen Foster run at Ellis Park. And this is a side note. Um, you know, we're going to get talk about the race itself. But, hey, guys, um, we got through the Ellis Park meet without a single problem. No fatalities whatsoever. And that's exactly what the doctor ordered for a beleaguered sport after all the problems at Churchill Downs. So uh, job well done by everybody involved to uh, have a seamless meet at Ellis Park, and it concluded on Sunday, but on Saturday first, we had the Stephen Foster. Really nice uh, race on paper. Um, there's no superstars in this division, and they've all kind of, except with Cody's Wish, but he has yet to go into the mile and eighth realm. Maybe he will in the Whitney. But these horses kind of take turns beating one another, and it was West Willpower's turn. He wins by a half length over Rattle and Roll. Uh, and uh, I thought part of the story, again, was Brad Cox. Look at these numbers. It was his 18th Rated stakes win on the year. He's won five grade ones with five different horses. 
And now Wes Willpower belongs in the equation as, as, as good as anybody else. Also, um, I, I was, uh, I've always been a big smile, happy fan. I don't know if you guys tuned into the race about five minutes before and TVG did a really good job. Boy, is that horse goofy. Oh, then Zoe's smiling. I want to, as an ex-jockey, I want to hear her opinion on that, where he didn't want to go anywhere near the gate. He kind of just dug his feet in at the eighth ball and they tried to back him in and everything. So I'll give him an excuse, but he's obviously got uh, some, maybe some problems upstairs where it counts. But job well done again by Brad Cox. And for uh, now, Wes Willpower, Randy, it was his turn. Oh, yeah. And keep in mind, Saudi Crown got beat by that far, uh, by Fort Bragg and the Dwyers. So, uh, yeah, Brad Cox's barn is clicking on all cylinders right now. Look, the first million-dollar race in the history of Ellis Park, obviously transferred from Churchill Downs. And I think it was the best race we've seen so far uh, in the two-turn older horse division. It had the one-two finishers of the Santa Anita Handicap, the one-two finishers of the Pimlico Special, the one-two-three finishers of the Oakland Handicap the one, three, four finishers of the Ali Sheba. I mean, this field was just absolutely loaded. And I thought West Willpower was a very legitimate winner. I mean, look, yes, the track seemed to be pretty speed favoring uh, at Ellis Park on Saturday and, and really the whole holiday weekend. But the pace was very, very solid in the Stephen Foster. And West Willpower was right up there on the pace, stalking closely all the way. It, the way the race was run... It was run to the benefit of horses like Rattle and Roll and the third place finisher, Happy American, who was way back in another zip code uh, during during the early running, uh, you know, the early part of the race. And yet West Willpower was so game enough to hang on and beat Rattle and Roll at the finish. I thought it was an outstanding race and uh, a return to peak form for West Willpower. Yeah, the first grade one race in the 101-year history of Alice Park. And I'm a big fan of Alice Park. I spent a couple of summers there uh, working for Chris Beckett back in the day. And it's really a great little track. Churchill have taken over it, and I've heard nothing but good things about Alice Park. So kudos to them for moving the Stephen Foster down there. As far as Smile Happy, well, it's pain in the ass to train anyway. I mean, Kenny McPeak has said he has trouble training him in the mornings. He refuses to go. He has a mind of his own. It seems like perhaps his antics have been getting a little bit worse. That isn't necessarily a good sign and didn't run that well either. So it'll be interesting to see if he gets a little break or where, in fact, he may turn up. But the gate crew was very aware of this, obviously, and they did the right thing. They got him up to the gate first. It took a while. But that was the right thing to do. So no one else is waiting in the gate, waiting for this horse to load. So I don't think it really hurt anyone, his antics before the race. Um, the outriders had to go down there and basically back him up for a 16th of a mile to get him to the gate. Once he got there, he generally was just shoved in there and he got in there no problem. So small happy. It'll be interesting to see where he shows up. Uh, Flavian Pratt. I mean, he won five yesterday at Belmont. He's just on a roll leading into Saratoga. It seems like he's winning everything in bunches. Gave that horse a picture-perfect ride. And he was basically the best horse in the race. Proxy, I've always been a big fan of Proxy. When the race got moved down to Alice Park, little speed favoring, he got the one hole. He doesn't do great in the heat. That was just a toss for him. And um, I guess we'll regroup and see where he shows up next. But in all... 
a good race and there's no question the before best before we go won. to the green group guest of the week i want to just mention one other thing that, that happened over the weekend and you know and randy uh, i think will concur with this you know we writers we do get sick of writing all this bad news all the time uh, it's not like we're like so there was some good news and a fun story in the john a nayrood stakes how about trainer jason cook in the business for 34 years as a four horse stable had never won a graded stakes race his entire career Seems like a great guy, which I found out uh, after interviewing him afterwards, but he won the John A. Nehru with three technique, a horse they claimed for $40,000. So it's not always all about Todd Pletcher, Chad Brown, Bob Baffert, and Brad Cox. Congratulations to Jason Cook and a real feel-good story there at Belmont Park on Saturday in the John A. Nehru. Meanwhile, the TDN Riders Room is brought to you by the Pennsylvania Horse Breeders Association. You can chalk up another stakes winner for the mayor. Katarika Disco, she got her fourth stakes winner as a broodmare on Saturday when Four Harp, her son, led home a Pennsylvania bred exacta. Witty was the second place finisher there and the $100,000 Laurel Dash Four Harp bred in Pennsylvania by St. Omer's Farm. And the same day at Monmouth Park in the $100,000 Regret Stakes, another Pennsylvania bred exacta, My Beautiful Bell over Oxana. My Beautiful Bell was bred in Pennsylvania by Joseph Iowa. We'll be right back after this message from the PHBA. The PA Horse Breeders Association presents the Pennsylvania Stallion Series. Six races for PA sired, PA bred two-year-olds at parks. Two $100,000 contests at five and a half furlongs. On August 21st, PA Day at the Races. September 23rd, PA Derby Day has two races at six and a half furlongs, both with a $150,000 purse. And in December, two races going long, each worth $200,000. For more, go to pabread.com. The GD and Writers Room is brought to you by The Green Group, a tax accounting and advisory firm specializing in the thoroughbred industry and especially specializing in saving you money on taxes. Welcome in now the Green Group Guests of the Week. And this week it is attorney Alan Pincus. And good week to have an attorney on because so much going on in the world of racing, including what we've been learning from the Horse Racing Integrity and Welfare Unit over the last couple of days, and they have been busy suspending several trainers for violations that come under the uh, category, I guess, of banned medications, which means they're in trouble instantly. And that's part of the issue here. And Alan Pincus is advising trainer Jonathan Wong, one of the people involved, uh, and, and it was noted that he was suspended. Also, he's the lawyer for Mario Dominguez, another person who has gotten these suspensions from the Horse Racing Integrity and Welfare Unit. Alan, thanks for joining us and reading what you had to say to the TDN and, and knowing you uh, as I have over the years talking to you. What is going on here with these people being suspended? Uh, no split samples have come in, no hearings, et cetera. Are we having a case of guilty until proven innocent? Well, that's obvious. Heiser took the old ARCI guidelines, which would have classes one to five with different penalties for all of those drugs, and decided that they would make two categories only, uh, allowed therapeutic medications, and everything else is now considered to be a banned substance. And while they're, they're not horrible on the therapeutic medication side, they have put all kinds of minor league drugs 
into the banned substance category. And all of the people that you've noticed <laughs> that have gotten penalized so far are for drugs that are of no consequence at all. So when, when, you, when you start, I, I could give you uh, an idea through Mr. Dominguez's case of the torture that people are put through. The HISA regulations are written in a way that are truly evil. They give you very little chance to defend yourself. They prescribe things you can't argue. They tell you what you may argue. But the worst part of it is, is when you have a banned substance, they come to you, they give you a letter that says, uh, uh, you have a positive for this drug, get out. And you're out that next day. What happens to a trainer who is told to get out? Horses must be relocated to different trainers in different stalls. You lose your owners, you lose your horses, you lose your ability to make a living. In the case of Mr. Dominguez, he had a dozen horses, a small trainer working his way through, doing okay. But like most trainers, he's living month to month. Now you've taken away his ability to make a living. You haven't charged him with anything, but he's dead. That's against due process. So what you do is you appeal. You can ask for, they, they give you a what they call a provisional suspension that boots you out immediately. That's the same as a summary suspension. And under the law for a summary suspension, you would have to get a hearing rapidly to see if that continues until you get your hearing on the merits. So that's what we did. Under High Wu's interpretation of the rules, you are liable for half of all of the costs of the hearings that you're going to go to. And High Wu pays the other half, but eventually you might be liable for their share plus their attorney's fees. And I said, this is, uh, so I asked the uh, High Wu attorney, how much it would be. And she said, well, this first is a rough and ready hearing. It's not going to go too long. A couple hours, it'd be like $1,500 a piece. So we send in the $875 deposit fee. And two days later, the arbitrator says, uh, send me another $3,400. So I say, what, what the heck is this? You said $1,500. Uh, too bad. So he had to forego his uh, provisional hearing because he doesn't have any money. And uh, uh, they asked for, we asked to send a split sample out. You don't get to choose which lab you want to send it to anymore like you used to be able to. They tell you, send me 2,000. 2,000. He has a positive for uh, cobalt. I had a cobalt positive, you know, maybe a year ago. It cost me 750 for a split sample. So the gouging begins. Cobalt is a very strange drug to say, because if you really have a banned substance, you're supposed to have zero tolerance. Any amount is gonna be a positive, but every living animal, you, me, and every horse has a level of cobalt in them at all times. So the old regulation under RSI said it's a positive at 25 parts per billion, but between 25 and 49 parts per billion, you should only give the trainer a warning letter because horses have different levels in them. But Heise says, no, no, 25. 25, you get the boot. 
He had 33. And he's very unfortunate because if it had happened three days earlier before Heise took over, he would have got a warning letter for this instead of having his life destroyed. So what would be your definition in this particular situation of adequate due process? Would it be waiting until the split sample comes back? Would it be waiting until a provisional hearing if it was done quickly enough? Obviously unconstitutional to make someone pay all these fees just to get due process. It's clearly unconstitutional. This morning, I got a letter from them saying, okay, we won't make you put them up in advance anymore. You're still probably liable for them later on. So we, we, we've made some progress for all horsemen in that sense. So we're now on day 21. He's yet to be charged with anything, okay? He hasn't been charged with anything. They won't charge you till the split sample comes back. It's due momentarily. But his life is long since over. He hasn't been charged with anything. What happens if the split sample comes back and it's under the level? What do they say? Oops, sorry that I destroyed your life. Uh, the whole system is unconstitutional. It's based on the fact that you're guilty until proven innocent. And under their system, it's very difficult to prove yourself innocent. It's a strict liability system. No excuses for you. Uh, Mr. Handel in New York might have a shot because he could, if he can prove that um, it was contaminated grain and that he really wasn't negligent in letting it get in there, he might have a shot. Most other people don't have much of a shot. But the uh, absolutely abhorrent part of it is some poor guy in Ohio got a positive for isoxaprin. I don't know if you know what isoxaprin is, but it used to be a class four drug. You get a, you get a fine for it. Somehow it's on the banned list. The little guy in Ohio, he can't defend himself. His life is over. Uh, you see other things. Uh, uh, Mac Robertson gets a positive for Regimate, another very low level drug. It can't possibly be a banned substance. It, you're supposed to be looking for etorphine and EPO and things like that as banned substances. All these other things, it's ridiculous. And so uh, you're going to see it. You're going to see one a week, two a week, one a week. It's like Russian roulette out there. And they're not cheaters. And besides the fact, you have very little chance under their system of winning. Uh, it has to stop. We've been saying for a long time, this is coming. Okay. But in horse racing, uh, people tend to say, ah, I don't cheat. It's, it's not me. It's not going to happen to me. It can't happen to me. You had a, there was a fellow about 200 years ago. His name was Edmund Burke. And he said something very profound. He said, all that is needed for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. And that is what has happened in horse racing, with the exception of Eric Hamelback of the HBPA, who saw this coming from a long time ago and has done yeoman work fighting for horsemen while everybody else stands around twiddling their thumbs. And this is what has become of it. So, Alan, I mean, a lot of racing fans, I should say not necessarily horsemen, but fans, were supporters of HISA and the concept that you would get tougher on drug violations and also that these things would be handled more expeditiously without all the constant rounds of appeals and delays and delays. Is there, in your opinion, a relatively simple 
fix to the problems you're talking about that would solve those problems while at the same time uh, maintaining a bit more of uh, of a sense of um, deterrence as far as the drug positives are concerned? Well, first of all, the things that they're calling banned substances, it, it's absurd. They're not the kind of drugs that well, the average person in the country doesn't know the difference between isoxaprine and some other performance enhancing drug. They're told it's based on this ridiculous premise. You, the HISA is in the, in the process of pulling like a billion dollars out of the game duplicating what racing commissions were doing before. Racing commissions who have done yeoman work, who have criticized from all sides. Yes, maybe they could speed up their system a little bit to make things go faster. But in the United States, we're supposed to have something called due process, where, where you get a hearing and get to argue your side of the case before you get punished. Yes, we'd like to speed things up. Haiza has this idea that due process. You're not winning under our system. Let's just go execute you right now. Well, that's un-American. Okay. And uh, so the average person has been convinced that when Haiza spreads some dead bodies of trainers along the side of the road, that cheating will come to an end. It's absurd. This is not cheating. Show me a guy who's cheating. Okay. Uh, there's no simple answer for it. We're in America. Alan, you've been doing this for a very, very long time. It's obvious that you are very passionate. When Heiser first came to the forefront, did you initially think it was going to be a good idea? Or, you know, for clarity, have you been very much anti-Heiser from the start because you had the foresight to, to look ahead and see what was coming? I was anti-Heiser from the start because when you pull a billion dollars out of the game to duplicate something that was already being done, who do you think winds up paying for it? The punching bags of racing, horse owners. It's coming out of their pocket. It's coming out of with this fee and that fee and this fee until you drive them out of the game. So I was against it even if they were able to do anything because they're not going to be able to do it better than the racing commissions. The racing commissions know about the game they have experience in the game. The stewards are the most knowledgeable people in racing. And you're going to, you're going to replace them by a bunch of people <coughs> who are going to say, let's change the whip to a popsicle stick with a piece of cotton on the end of it. And, uh, look at some grainy films and see if that was a jockey winding up or he actually hit the horse. Now, when you see that coming, all right, they're not killing people, but it's, it's stupid. The seventh whip strike is animal cruelty. What was the sixth whip strike? I just wanted to say, you've mentioned all these points and your main point was the money and the fact it costs these smaller trainers so much. That being said, are you concerned that the super trainers, the Todd Pletchers, the Bob Baffert, they're going to have an easier time with this because they're going to be able to afford to put up the money and pay for the right representation? Uh, they will in, in a certain way, but in another way, they're in huge jeopardy. The chances of you getting a positive for one of these innocuous drugs that are now called banned substances is a function of the amount of horses that you have. Okay. When you get these big stables, you're more likely to get it. So um, let's get back to the Jonathan Wong situation. And he has a story, whether it's credible or not. Um, I don't know, but he has a story. 
that the same drug that was found in his horse is a type 2 diabetes medication that he takes. And his point was that this is how it got into the horse's system um, through contamination. Now, whether it's him or anybody else, when they come in, as you said, and on day one, they tell you to get out, they tell you you're suspended and get on with the rest of your life. How do any of these stories end any differently other than where things stand now? You're out, two years, goodbye. Uh, yeah, that's the, that's the danger. And in their system, they tell you things you can't argue. They, you know, for, for Mr. Dominguez, he's got an amount that would have been a warning letter three days early. We want to be able to say that, uh, where's the science and what you did, or that this is not a performance enhancing drug and you're prescribed by the regulations from even doing this. And the system is strict liability. So strict liability means goodbye to you, unless you can prove that it got in there and and you weren't negligent in letting it get in there. It's an extremely tough burden, extremely tough burden. When you add to it the due process violations, you know, when you throw somebody out, how long before his life is over? Day, two days, three days? So when they talk about making things go faster at the expense of you being able to defend yourself, yeah, there shouldn't be any provisional hearings. How about the idea that you get a hearing and a chance to defend yourself before you're punished? Okay. How about that? And 14th Amendment of the Constitution can't take away my life, liberty, or property without due process. So you charge me. Okay. You charge me with it. Give me a quick hearing on the facts. Okay. It could all be done in a couple of months, but I'm on the track and still working until you give me that hearing and prove something. What, what's so demanding about that? Why do you have to destroy on day one? That's indefensible. Do you have major concerns that genuine risks of contamination now, genuine claims are going to be overruled through all this? I mean, let's, let's start with Jonathan Wong. Was he aware of the banned substance, his um, uh, diabetic medication? Was he aware that was on the list? I can't speak for that, but, I, but, but, but most positive tests, you, the idea that all these trainers are just cheaters waiting to be caught is false. Most positive tests, either they gave a allowable substance too close to the race, or they don't even know how it got in there. Yes, there's cheaters, but I will tell you this. Take a look at the people that are in jail. Okay. The ones that they put in jail, not a one of them ever had a positive test. You're getting positive tests for innocuous things. You're calling them banned substances and ruining people's lives. It's indefensible. Now, let me say something else. You had 20 trainers identified as violating the interarticular injection rule. Okay. It's not rocket science. They say you can't inject the horse within 14 days of a race or within seven days of a workout. Is that complicated? Are you confused about that? No, you're not confused about it. Suddenly, Lisa Lazarus, Hai Wu is supposed to be the enforcement agent. Lisa Lazarus from Heisa comes out and goes, well, I'm going to let all those trainers go. 
because uh, they were confused. But we're going to still punish the owners. Owners always got to get punished. We're going to make their horse be suspended for 30 days because it's a, it's a safety issue. Well, it's a safety issue for the trainers, too. And it stinks here. Why is she getting involved? Who are these people that she let off? Okay. And on day one, they post the name of uh, Mr. Dominguez on their website because their public disclosure rules are there. Where are the names of these horses so we can figure out who these trainers are? Because it stinks of favoritism. Where are they? Somebody asked Lisa. She said, oh, don't worry. When we publish it, you'll be able to figure it out. Well, publish it. What are you dragging your feet for? So let ask Lisa when she's going to publish the names of those horses. Well, Alan, I can add to this conversation and maybe tell you something that you're not aware of. I asked for that list. <laughs> and their answer was no. We're not going to give it to no. you. You mean no? You have the no. public disclosure rules that say they have to do it within 20 days? Okay, so I just I just answer from a journalist standpoint. Go ahead. From, from a lawyer standpoint, this was from, I hope I'm a credible journalist. I asked for the list of these horses. And if you have the horses' names, you'd have the trainers' names under the premise that this has got to be public information. These horses are suspended from running for 30 days. And they said, um, no, thank you, Mr. Finley. We're not going to tell you. It's hypocrisy of the highest level. OK, I can't say that my client was confused. OK, I mean, he's confused. All right. But he can't use it as a defense. And this is disgraceful. This is why these people shouldn't be in charge. They can't. You can't let someone all. All uh, praise to you for asking the question, okay? You can't let them get away with this pontification. This is an existential threat to horse races. This is the game that we love, okay? Stop allowing them to get away with this nonsense. Okay? Like I said this morning, they, they wrote me a letter. They said, uh, uh, we're not going to charge these fees up front anymore, okay? So that you know it's starting to know that it's unconstitutional, but you gotta yell at them, you gotta press them. Alan, uh, you have no filter, and I love that about you. <laughs> I think we know where you stand, Alan. Uh, one, there's only. I went to the doctor and I said, "Why is my back hurting all the time?" And he said, uh, "You're an old man." And there's only two good things about being an old man: one, you get to play with your grandkids, and two, you can speak truth to power. Well said. Very, very good. Well, Alan Pinkus, uh, an enlightening interview and uh, best of luck representing your clients and uh, a subject that I'm sure we're going to hear a lot more about. And we want to thank you for being this week's Green Group. Best Press them on that, that list, Bill. Press them. I hear you. As the Green Group Guest of the Week, Mr. Alan Pincus will receive a free one-hour tax consultation from the Green Group. For more information on how the Green Group can help you with your taxes, you can go to www.greenco.com. Are you paying too much in taxes? The Green Group can help. There's a reason the most successful owners, breeders, and horsemen select the Green Group as their tax advisors. They save you money and share successful strategies. Over the past 40 years, the Green Group founder, Len Green, has owned and bred some of the best racehorses in the history of the sport, like Eclipse Award-winning champions Jaywalk and Wonder Wheel. His DJ stable competes at the highest level and has received the game's most prestigious honors. 
Len Green's in-depth, hands-on industry knowledge, combined with cutting-edge tax-saving strategies, has produced positive results for his clientele and has made the Green Group the top-rated accounting and tax firm in the thoroughbred business. For a confidential and complimentary consultation, contact us at 732-634-5100 or visit our website at www.greenco.com. The Green Group, proven strategies to save you taxes. Lexitonian, a consistent top-level performer from east to west, a debut winner at two, winning and placing in multiple grade one races, following the footsteps of his sire Spitestown to win the grade one Vanderbilt at Saratoga and placing second in the grade one Bing Crosby and grade one Churchill Downs stakes out of the daughter of a grade one test winner. He has the pedigree, the speed, and the looks to succeed. Lexitonian, standing at lane's end. The Lanes Inn Stallion of the Week is Game Winner. On the track, Game Winner earned over $2 million winning four graded stakes and is by perennial leading sire and Lanes End Stallion Candy Ride. During his championship season, Game Winner remained unbeaten with victories in the Grade 1 Del Mar Futurity, the Grade 1 American Pharaoh Stakes, and the Grade 1 Breeders' Cup Juvenile, defeating eventual Horse of the Year Nick's Go in the process. Game Winner's first wheelings were in demand last year with sales up to 280,000 at Fazic Tipton November. Look for his first yearlings this summer. So Dan Ross had in this week's Thoroughbred Daily News uh, an interesting story and perhaps a troubling story. Up north from Santa Anita, where Zoe works is Golden Gate Fields, of course, another track in the uh, first uh, racing slash Stronach Group family of racetracks. And a uh, city council woman, in the city of Berkeley, which is a, a Golden Gate is uh, partly in Berkeley and partly in another town. I'm not familiar with that. Zoe can maybe fill us in on that. But a member of the Berkeley City Council basically introduced an ordinance that for all practical purposes would make horse racing illegal in Berkeley, California. Normally you'd look at something like this and say, come on, it's a bunch of crap. Let's, you know, some idiot out there trying something like this. But um, again, Zoe will know this better than, than, than maybe Randy and I, because she's a uh, based in California, but those people are wackadoodles out there uh, in Berkeley, California. And I, I wouldn't put, I I'm, I'm, I'm hate to say this, but I, I wouldn't be absolutely shocked if this thing does pick up some traction. Again, be just sort of the, you know, political climate out there. It's obviously very left wing, that sort of thing. And uh, Dan interviewed um, Craig Fable from the Stornet Group, and he said, uh, we are concerned about this. Now, on, on top of that, um, you know, there's it's one thing for animal rights people to uh, step up and, and advocate for animals. I have no problem with that. But I do have a problem with them just getting their facts all wrong, which, which happens all the time. Dan noted in his story that they said one of the reasons why they, they want racing to end is there because the, the lifespan of a racehorse is three to five years, which, of course, is, is absolutely insane. And they also said injuries are getting worse and, and the numbers are going up all the time, which is exactly the opposite. But uh, Zoe, uh, you being the Californian, what did you make of this? Well, in fact, I had a good chat to Dan about this this morning. And um, clearly it's written towards racehorses. Uh, Kate Harrison, who wrote the ordinance, it's it's written towards racehorses. And some of the, the writings in the ruling are a horse must not be in a stable more than 11 hours a day. So that's written towards a horse at the racetrack who's generally in the stable 23 of 24 hours a day. 
And then a horse must have, I don't know, 1.5 acres per horse to be turned out. It's all written towards the racehorse. And it begs you to wonder, is Peter behind this or direct action everywhere? They're the same people, Uh if you remember a few years ago, went on to Golden Gate and handcuffed each other together. Someone else is behind this. And I think the biggest question we need to ask is, what is the TOC? What is Golden Gate, the Stronach Group? What are they going to do to get in front of this? Because clearly it's going to be problematic if they're coming at racing from angles like this. We need to get in front of it and make a plan because this this is like out of right field. So you know something else is coming. They're clearly trying to stop horse racing. Yeah, Berkeley and Albany, Bill. Those are the two cities that are sort of jointly, you know, jointly share Golden Gate. Yeah, I don't think Golden Gate uh, first racing can ignore this, but this is just so absurd that I don't think there's any way this is actually, it's a proposal. I don't think there's any way it's actually going to become law. Yes, but yeah, I mean, we know the activism in Berkeley can be off the charts, Uh, but I I, that doesn't mean that I think Golden Gate is necessarily out of the water, out of, you know, out of danger, because to me uh, right now with the property value of of Golden Gate uh, sitting on the East Bay waterfront, uh, I think that Golden Gate is one of the prime contenders among American racetracks to go the way of Hollywood Park, where the land it sits on is much more valuable than the revenue that can be generated by a racetrack sitting on that land. And Golden Gate is not exactly killing it in terms of, of business. Uh, and so I, I think Golden Gate is, is definitely uh, should be on the endangered species list. Uh, and that is should be a concern to horse people everywhere. I mean, it's been around for 82 years, but it's only about two and a half years younger uh, than Hollywood Park. Hollywood Park started in, in 1938 and Golden Gate started in 1941. Uh, so it doesn't mean that uh, you know, the Golden Gate will necessarily be around forever. To me, that's the biggest danger to Golden Gate going forward. Uh, even though I think the news right now is all this uh, ridiculous city council proposal. And also a good point, Randy. Remember, I mean, there used to obviously be two major racetracks and Bay Meadows was sold and closed and converted for real estate. Um, you know, that's that's one thing. I mean, real estate is just in, in Northern California is it's just off the charts for what it's worth. OK, uh, another big weekend of racing this week. We had the Delaware Handicap, the, the three-year-olds, the Indiana Derby and the Iowa Derby. I've still never understood why those two tracks run the same races on the same day, which makes absolutely no sense to me. But most of the uh, attention will be focused at Belmont Park, the final weekend of racing at Belmont before they move up to Saratoga. There's four graded stakes races at Belmont on Saturday, including two, the Belmont Oaks and the Belmont Derby. I want to start it off, however, by talking about the fifth race on the card, the Suburban. And why the Suburban? Because I'm going to uh, step out on a limb a little bit here and say this race needs to be gone. And, and first of all, I mean, the conditions for this race should read for horses whose trainers think their horses are, excuse me, for horses whose trainers think their horses are not good enough to run in the Whitney. And um, this is, you know, it's, it's sad to me because, I mean, this is, is, is by no means anywhere close to a good race. It's got five horses. Um, you, you know, the 
charge it'll be the favorite and, and he has has had a, a, a struggled this year um this is a race that's been run by four, won by forgo dr fager buck passer kelso assault there's just too many of these races particularly on the naira circuit where they're trying to shoehorn in the suburban the whitney the woodward the jockey club gold cup it, it just doesn't work and um you know what's why do you need to continue with this race um i, I think you know it, it's it's served its time. It's been a great race for years, but that that's my just sort of the one thing that I will uh, comment on on this. Um, the two Grade One races for three-year-olds on the turf are very interesting. The Belmont Oaks Invitational for three-year-old fillies, and then we go in the Belmont Derby Invitational, both Grade One, seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And a good friend, John Green, is representing this with Web Slinger will be one of the favorites in there um, and uh, in the uh, Belmont Derby Invitational. So, Randy, what are you looking forward to this weekend? Well, usually when you look at these uh, these two races, the Belmont Oaks and the Belmont Derby, it, it pays dividends to focus on the European contingent, especially the Charlie Appleby horses. And Appleby is coming over with a horse named Silver Knot in the Belmont Derby, but he's a horse that made a trip to the United States a little bit earlier and lost. I think he finished fourth and he was beaten a length. So, to me, uh, it's a bit unusual for me to focus on the Americans in these two races, but I think we've got two really nice horses in these races. First of all, the Belmont Oaks, Mission of Joy, uh, the filly uh, in that race that drew the rail, trained by Graham Motion. If you go back and you watch the Derby weekend stakes races, she ran in the Edgewood, and she was third in the Edgewood and beaten a length by Heavenly Sunday and Revelita in there. She was two or three lengths the best horse in that race when you go back and watch that. And then she came back and was a little more than three to five when she won the regret at Churchill Downs, showed a nice turn of foot. Uh, I love the inside post at a mile and a quarter on the turf. So I think Mission of Joy is the one that's really uh, going to be the horse to beat. And then Webslinger, John Green's horse, right? I mean, just way out in the middle of the racetrack last time out uh, when Webslinger uh, won his most recent stakes race. Uh, that's two big stakes wins in a row now for Web Slinger. And he was the really even more dominant than it looks like on paper. Uh, when you go back and you analyze the way he won those two races, right? You go back to Churchill in the American turf, post 12 out of 13, uh, slightly wide around both turns, uh, beat a good field, a really good field in there. And then last time in the Audubon at Churchill Downs, uh, three to four wide around both turns, just cruise past horses at the top of the stretch. Mission of Joy, Web Slinger, that's my grade one daily double. I'm not telling people anything they don't already know. They'll be the two favorites in there, I think, but deservedly so. I'm going to tally you with the Foxes in the grade one Belmont Derby. Coming over for Andrew Bolding, a trainer who doesn't send a whole lot of horses over, but when he does, he means business. will be ridden by O'Sheen Murphy, last seen in the English Derby. Was fifth that day. Now, August Rodan came back to win again the Irish Derby this past weekend. I think there were two next out winners of that race. The Foxes is a very, very good horse indeed. who has been running against some of the best in Europe. And I don't think he should be ignored in here by any way, shape or means for Andrew Bolding coming over here. He'll get the distance. There's been a little bit of rain there at Belmont Park. So I think the going is going to be just about perfect for him. He goes well on good ground over in Europe. It'll be probably a little bit firmer than that. But the Fox is definitely not to be overlooked there. And then if we talk about the Phillies race, um, I actually like Asprey in there for Chad Brown and Flavian Pratt. She's 
only run three times. I thought her win in the Hilltop was very, very good. She was very wide. She came from a long way back. She did get some pace to run out that day in Pimlico, but I think there's a lot more to Asprey for trainer Chad Brown in the Belmont Oaks. And I've got one more to throw at you guys. Race number one is a maiden race. And a lot of people will be looking at this race. Two-year-old fillies, they'll be going five and a half furlongs. How about, where did she go? I can't find her. Exhilarate. The first foal from champion Elate makes her debut going five and a half furlongs. She's a daughter of Warfront. I am really looking forward to her in race number one. At when you mentioned the Foxes, Zoe, I just went back and looked at the past performances again, and I saw the English Derby stumbled at the start. As you were talking, I went on to YouTube and called up the Epsom Derby. And it's <laughs> It's not just a bobble. It's a legitimate, a legitimate stumble out of course position number three for the Foxes in that race. So he, it looks like he might have gone off form a little bit on paper, but then you look at that and it's it's a real excuse. Thank you. I'm glad I could Randy change your mind. Oliver Wendell Holmes and a live update <laughs> as Zoe is talking on a trip from a race in Europe. Randy, that's why we love you. I do want to remind you that the TDN Writers Room is brought to you by XBTV, your number one place to take a look at the workouts. So this week, we're going to take a look at the Preakness winner, National Treasure, seen working here a half mile in 48 and 4 at Santa Anita. This is National Treasure's second work back since his sixth place finish in the Belmont Stakes. He's obviously keen to go. You can see working solo there for Hall of Famer Bob Baffert. Bob saying he's not yet chosen his next start. However, he is nominated to the Los Alamitos Derby next week. We'll be right back after this message. All the thrills. Fraction of the bills. Experience the power of the partnership. Change your life. Make new friends and compete at the highest level of thoroughbred racing. West Point Thoroughbreds, the gold standard in racing partnerships. Visit westpointtb.com. The TDN Riders Room is also brought to you by West Point Thoroughbreds. Uh, as we've noted before, joining a West Point partnership can vault you immediately into a world of instant camaraderie, and you also get a chance uh, to experience the thrill of a horse that looks like they can really have a bright future, such as Northern Invader. Now, Northern Invader ran Saturday in a maiden race. And you say, OK, what's so special about that? Co-owned by West Point Thoroughbreds and David Gordo. Well, this is a horse making only his third lifetime start, his first race ever on the turf after a couple of good runner-up finishes on dirt. And the son of Collected ran off to an eight-length win at Belmont Park in a maiden race on the turf, earning a buyer's speed figure of 90 four in just his third career start. So Northern Invader, really a horse to watch. Meanwhile, his workmate, Cagliostro, will run Saturday in the Indiana Derby. West Point and Engordo also involved in the ownership of Cagliostro, who will be taking on in that race uh, favorites Verifying and Hayes Strike. that's a wrap on this week's edition of the Thoroughbred Daily News Writers Room. I want to thank my cohorts, Zoe Cannon. Welcome back, Zoe. Good to have you back. And thank you for T.D. Thornton for filling in for a couple of weeks. Randy Moss as well. Our Green Group guest of the week, Alan Pincus. Our co-producers, Katie Petruniak and Anthony LaRocca. 
and our editors, Leah LaRocca and Nathan Wilkinson. And of course, where would we be without our mascot, Zoe? Thanks, everybody. Talk to you next week. Zoe, Zoe like oh, oh my God. Let's do that over again. <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> Oh, I like that. That's good. I can be the mascot. Ah, okay. <laughs> I have no idea where that came from.